neighbors, and the church. Let me begin with a word of prayer. So let's bow our heads. O oh Lord God, I pray that as I'm teaching today, may it be beneficial to my brothers and sisters in Christ. May I encourage them to be good neighbors and to love others. And God, may I also be able to encourage them that there are important principles and stuff that we can learn today. And may we ultimately apply it to our lives so that we can share the gospel with others and make much of Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wally and I have been going over a series dealing with neighboring, how to be a good neighbor, some principles to consider. The one thing that Wally said that I'm going to echo again is that these are not dogmatic things that I'm going to be teaching today. These are principles that are pulled from scripture and wisdom should rightfully be applied to what I'm saying and the ideas that I'm saying are not such are not going to be presented in such a way that if you don't do them you're in sin but they are things to consider when engaging with your neighbors so we will be talking about inviting neighbors to church getting them involved with church families and if you don't do them, I'm not going to say that you are in sin, but I want to give you guys some considerations to go over of how to be a good neighbor in different circumstances. Some of them won't apply to you. Some of them may be very useful principles to apply. So to begin with, it should be a normal thing for you to talk about your life and your involvement in the church with unbelievers. It should be a normal part of your conversation. If your coworker or your neighbor asks, how is your weekend? We shouldn't shy away from anything church related and just say, oh, well, on Saturday I did this and Sunday, just keep quiet. It should be a normal part, like, oh yeah, this weekend, on Saturday, this, and then Sunday, I went to church, I saw my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then I went over to their house. That should be a normal part of our conversation to talk about what we do at church and with other Christians. It should just flow off the tongue. I know for me, for a while, I actually would almost want to keep silent. I just wouldn't really mention that I went to church. If they asked me, how's your weekend? I would almost avoid the church subject because I didn't want to almost defend them or I just thought they wouldn't want to listen. But I learned one thing that I'm with losing a great opportunity to potentially share the gospel with people. And so now if someone asks me, How's my weekend? Or I'm talking to my boss or a coworker, my neighbor, I will mention, oh yeah, church did this. Or I'll even mention stuff that's going on in church, dealing with what I'm doing on Wednesday night with the kids' ministry, or the stuff coming up for Christmas, or what I did for Thanksgiving. I will specifically mention that. And there have been opportunities where I have got to talk about the Lord because of that. The first thing, do not feel 
bad or shy away from talking about your life and your involvement in the church. Your neighbors and people should know that you actually go to church and that you are involved and an active member. That gives you a great opportunity to witness. But then another thing is John chapter 13 gives us a good principle of how we are to present ourselves in front of non-Christians. And this is actually where a lot of our wisdom and principles will be coming from today. So turn your Bibles to John chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 31. John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, get a little while while I'm with you. You will seek me, as I have said to the Jews, So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And here's our key verse. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, loving one another wasn't exactly the new command. But Jesus is applying it in a new way and shedding light on it. You can think of similarly like how he talks about on the Sermon on the Mount. He sheds clarity on what these passages actually mean in the purpose. So Jesus is saying to his disciples that the unbelieving world will look at you and your interactions with other Christians and they will see the glory of Christ, and that they will know that you are Christians on how you treat other people, how you treat Christians and unbelievers. The watching world, unbelievers, pay attention to our behavior, our actions. And if we are not making good witness with our behavior, we are hurting the name of Christ. First Corinthians has a lot of passages that relate to this. So I'm going to be jumping around a little bit in First Corinthians and just kind of pulling out some principles. Um, there are four chapters that are relevant, and there's honestly more that I could do, but I feel like these are the easiest four that kind of make some points in. And so I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Some of them I'm not going to read. But these are the ideas of the unbelieving world sees what we are doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the chapter where you have someone in the church that is sleeping, having sexual relationship with their, um, their father's wife. And let me read just a few passages. A few of the verses. It is actually reported that there is sexual morality among you and of the kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife 
and you are arrogant, ought you not to rather mourn? Let him, let him who has done this be removed from among you. That verse actually says that the unbelieving world, the pagans don't even tolerate such a behavior. And that it is a shame and they ought to mourn. So the point is, pagans, unbelievers, see the sin that's being committed in the church, and they think that's even horrendous. If unbelievers don't even tolerate that sin, you see a serious issue of what's being happened. It is common for unbelievers to almost make light of certain sins. Like anger, they'll be like, oh, okay, he, he was just getting revenge, but that person deserved it, and that's why he got punched back. And they'll almost justify certain sins very easily. But when the Bible says that even unbelievers, pagans, don't tolerate a certain sin, we see the harm and the reputation and how it hurts the church. And then chapter 6, we have another aspect of this. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it starts talking about believers who were suing one another and church. Verse 1 of chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to the law before the unrighteous, which is another word for unbelievers or pagans, instead of the saints or Christians, do you or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one among you who is wise enough to, sell, to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brothers, go to the law against brother, and that is before unbelievers. To have a lawsuit at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer the wrong, and why not be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So the point here is people, believers are suing one another and it says it is a shame that's being brought upon you. Now make some principle things. There should be wise people among you. You're going to be judging the world. But the key thing is it is bringing shame upon the name of Christ that these people can't even deal with their own lawsuits or disputes among themselves. Again, it brings shame upon the name of Christ. It's doing no service to our evangelism. Let's go to another example in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, food offered to idols. So it talks about how some people in the church used to be a pagan and that there were these offerings 
that when they killed an animal, they always went to the temple and they were sacrificed to idols. And so Paul says, now there's this knowledge that we have. We know that this is happening, but we also understand that idols are not real at all. And so Paul makes a whole point of essentially your Christian liberties. And he makes the point, don't offend your brother for their conscious sake. He said, it is wrong to do it because you're affecting a fellow brother in the Lord. And then in chapter 10, it elaborates it a little bit. So chapter 10, verse 23 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therefore, which is a quote from Psalm chapter 23. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go and eat, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be be determined by someone else's conscience? Again, it's the same point. There's an there's an unbeliever who invites you. They don't have any issue with eating meat that's been sacrificed to idol. But if your un but if your believer friend or another Christian has a grievance against it and will not do it, then for the sake of their conscience, don't offend them. So actually the principle we can take is if you are in a situation where you can either offend the unbeliever or a Christian, offend the unbeliever every single time because it is more loving for you to love your fellow brother and sister in Christ than the unbeliever. Why? John chapter 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. The greatest witness you can do for the church is to love your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord to the point that you are willing to offend the unbeliever for the sake of your brother. And we could give a modern day example. You're at a party, unbeliever's house, and your fellow brother is there. You're fine with drinking alcohol, but they aren't. Don't drink alcohol for the sake of your Christian brother and, un and offend the unbeliever for the sake of being a good witness. It is more honorable in that case to offend the unbeliever to show your love for a fellow Christian. So the final introduction point, there is a cooperative nature of evangelism. How you interact with your fellow Christians is a part of evangelism. The reputation of the church is part of evangelism. How they view your interactions that all factors in to being an effective witness. Now, those things don't save people, 
but we should not put a stumbling block anywhere in front of the unbeliever. Christ is already the greatest stumbling block. The world already finds it hard enough to swallow those things. Why make any other stumbling block in front of the unbeliever? So our reputation matters. How we treat our fellow brother and sister matters. And as we're going to talk about in the end, the way that unbelievers view this church at First Baptist Church of the Lakes matters. If they look at this church and view it as a hostile place or an unkept place, that is going to hurt the witness of this church and the congregation. It can put an extra stumbling block that does not need to be there. I'll explain more about that towards the end when we're on point number four. So it should be a common thing for us to try to get our neighbors involved in the life of the church. So when was the last time that you specifically have invited a neighbor, a coworker, an unbelieving friend to church? When was the last time you've done it? There is an attractiveness of an invitation to church. And I mean that in a few different ways. First, it's almost Christmas time. People are a lot more willing to come to church during Christmas. So having an invitation and inviting someone to church, they're a lot more likely to do it during Christmas and Easter. So use that as an opportunity to get neighbors involved in the church life. They're also a lot more willing to come to church when they get an invitation with somebody they know. It is harder for an unbeliever to walk into a church when they don't know anyone. So them having someone they know is actually a great benefit and just gives them another opportunity to be willing to stay longer and see the life of the church. They know you. It might be Christmas time. It's a perfect opportunity in that attractiveness. They're more willing during this time, and they're more willing because they actually know you and they have a relationship. So use that as an opportunity to invite your neighbors into the life of the church. Now, there are some difficulties with this, and there are some warnings I'm going to give. First, one of the difficulties is we live in Las Vegas, and there are a lot of people who work jobs that are on Sunday. They're working. So they may not be as willing to come on a Sunday morning, but they may have Wednesday night off. Or they may be able to attend one of the many D groups. We essentially have something almost every day of the week. We have a D group on Monday. Um, we have church on Wednesday. We have stuff on Thursday and Friday, Sunday after church. Although they might have difficulties getting on Sunday morning, they may be more willing to come on a different night of the week just because they have that time off. Or they just may be more willing to come to something that they don't have preconceived notions on. 
So when an unbeliever comes into this building, they have a certain idea of what the typical church is going to present them. They may not have the same idea of what to expect on a Wednesday, and they may be more open and willing to it. So use the different opportunities to invite them. Wednesday night, Sunday, D-group, because people's schedules are different, and what they're open to is very different. Let me also talk about some of the pitfalls and downsides that come along with inviting people into the life of the church, specifically coming here on Sunday morning. Inviting your neighbor to church is not sharing the gospel with them. Inviting your neighbor to church is not the same thing as sharing the gospel with them. Now, we know that Pastor Rowe or any of our other pastors, they're going to preach the gospel every Sunday that they come. And that is a great blessing of our church. But you just saying, hey, come to church, there's no gospel message in there. There's no confrontation of sin in their lives. There's no call to repentance of just saying, hey, come to church. So do not make the mistake of just inviting the church in neglecting your responsibility as a Christian to make disciples and to share the gospel. I know specifically at my last church, it was a very common thing for people to invite others to church. But there became this mentality that the pastor on Sunday morning would preach to unbelievers. His message was specifically geared toward preaching to those who were not saved. And I specifically asked about it, and they said they were preaching to the lowest common denominator with how it was worded. They were preaching specifically to unbelievers, and then they would have a more in-depth lesson plan on like a Wednesday night or throughout the week. And that was a mistake that my previous church had made. It became a culture of invite people to church. They'll hear a message. But it was in the neglect of the actual members in the Christian. Church is meant mainly for the Christian. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how we were given apostles, prophets, but it also says teachers or pastors, and it says for the building up of the church for the sake of ministry. The purpose, I should say one of the purposes of church here Sunday morning is to encourage, is to build up the body of Christ for the sake of ministry. So let us not as a church make the mistake of watering down our sermons or our teaching for the sake of making it more palatable for an unbeliever. No, we should have it in such a way that it's going to build up, encourage Christians so that they can better serve their neighbor. Another benefit of just inviting someone to church is they then see the interaction of the love for the brothers and the sisters 
within this building. They get to witness firsthand the care and the compassion that we have here at church. So when we have an unbeliever come through the doors, they may not know what to expect. But when they see Christians being sacrificial for one another, in loving and caring, they may very well wonder, why are these people who are not even blood-related making so many sacrifices for these people? In fact, it should almost be a phenomenon in their head that Christians are more close to other Christians than their own blood family. That should be a noticeable thing. And they should get confused on it. Because in our culture, it's always talked about how family comes first. And there are some good ideas with that and good principles. And we are called to provide for our families. But for Christmas, I'd much rather spend it with a Christian. Because half my family, they don't know Jesus. And I'd rather spend it with a fellow Christian because of my love and my care for other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so inviting unbelievers into that environment, they will then get to see firsthand what Jesus was talking about when he said, that the world will know that we love one another and it will be a witness. They will know that we are Christians by the way that we treat our fellow brothers and sisters. So yes, invite people to church. Give them opportunities to see the life of the church, to see the love that we have for one another. Get them involved. But also understand that the church service here and what I'm teaching and what happens on Sunday and Wednesday, the main priority is for the believers to be built up, not for the sake of catering to an unregenerate world. That's why you get mega churches. They just keep watering down their service and they can make it more and more based on entertainment and pleasing the unbelievers instead of making much of Christ. May we not fall into that error. But it's not always inviting them to church here in this building. We can also invite them into the lives of our everyday at home. So for example, let's say that you're having a birthday party for a kid or just a barbecue or watching the Super Bowl, any event that you can think of. Use that as an opportunity to invite your fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, your fellow church members. Also invite the neighbor next door at the same time and let them mingle, let them meet each other. They will then get to see your interactions with another believer inside your own house. Sometimes they'll be a lot more willing to come to your house for a barbecue than they will be to come into this building. And so let's just talk about some ideas. Again, these are not do this or you're in sin. These are just ideas 
to be good and effective neighbors and good at evangelizing and being effective. Have pre-arranged conversations. What I mean by that is that sometimes you have a neighbor that has a certain hobby or interest. You might know another believer who has that same hobby or interest. Introduce each other. Maybe reach out to your fellow Christian and say, hey, I have a neighbor who's really into cars or sports or this hobby or this interest or works in this same job field and just kind of say, hey, I want you to talk to them. They have the same interest. That can then create an opportunity for evangelism. So that's what I mean by prearranged conversations. Have conversations set up that the unbeliever or the neighbor feels comfortable around your Christians. Sometimes unbelievers have the wrong idea that Christians are only into church things and we don't have any other hobbies. We just go to church, we read our Bible, and we pray, and that's all. We don't have any other interest. Now, that is our highest interest, and that is our highest love. But we all have other interests and hobbies. We all work in different fields. So we can leverage that as an opportunity for a Christian and an unbeliever to spark a potentially a friendship or a conversation that then can lead to an opportunity to share the gospel. It could be as simple as you have a Jewish neighbor and you know a Jewish person and you have them meet and that Jewish believer can talk about, you know, I'm Jewish, but let me tell you about the Messiah that did come. And you can then have these conversations that will be a lot more effective because there's a cultural connectivity. Like a Catholic, there are a lot of people who have a Catholic background. They would be much more willing to listen to someone who grew up Catholic and understands, and they have someone that understands them. It can then be a more effective witness opportunity. So prearranged conversations can be used for the glory of God. But do not treat your neighbors as these evangelistic projects. Treat them like an actual human being. We are called, yes, Lori? Yes. So what I mean by that is we as Christians can sometimes fall into the air of viewing unbelievers just as another person to witness to, but without an actual love for that person. We just see them as a person who's unbeliever, they just need the gospel. Yes, they need the gospel. But we should also love our neighbors, and actually treat them like a normal person. Have friendly interactions. Talk to them. Ask them about their day. Show actual interest in who they are as an individual. 
but also realize that they do need the gospel. And so it is a person that you share the gospel with, but don't have this narrow-minded idea that the only reason I'm talking to them is so that I can share the gospel. Talk to them because you love them as a human being, and because of your love for this individual, you are going to share the gospel. So there's a difference of how you are viewing this person. You're not just viewing them as a person who needs the gospel, but you are viewing them as another image bearer of God who deserves love and dignity that happens to need Jesus more than anything else. The next point. Bring church members into the everyday activities. So this was the point I was making. Get unbelievers and church members under the same roof in any opportunity that you have. If you're having a barbecue, invite them over. Invite your neighbors over, but also invite a Christian. Another idea is when you're having Christmas in a week, we're all used to having our family over, but maybe there's a fellow brother or sister in the Lord that's single or doesn't have anywhere to go. Invite them over. Your love for your brother should dictate that anyways, but then you're bringing the church and your neighbors together. And again, going to John chapter 13, they then can see the love that you have for one another. They should wonder why you love Christians more than your blood family. People should be wondering that. So again, invite unbelievers to church. Invite unbelievers to any event with Christians there. Look for any opportunity. But let's also talk about this church, First Baptist Church of the Lake, as a neighbor. Let me explain what I mean by that. Now, no one actually lives and sleeps in this building. At least I hope not. But there are people that live in this neighborhood that drive by this church on a regular basis, and they almost view this as part of their community or as a neighbor. Oh, we have a church in the neighborhood. The reputation of this church matters. The pastors of this church try to regularly have interactions with our community. As a good witness for Christ, we should view the church's reputation in this building as a high priority. So showing consideration. We do church work day and we clean out the trash that's on the property. We also cut down the trees as they're getting overgrown and manage the bushes and make sure the landscaping's up to date and make sure the building isn't worn down. We want all that to prevent 
to the unbelieving world as a good witness. Just imagine if they looked at this church and it was run down, where there was a broken window or trash everywhere, or dumpster just wide open, trash spilling out. The grass hasn't been mowed in a last year. There's weeds everywhere. They would then look at this building and want to have nothing to do with it, and that can then hurt the reputation of Jesus Christ. Now, in one sense, we may wonder, why are we putting so much money into this building? Because it's an opportunity to share the gospel with others. So the fence that we have being installed, part of the reason that fence was installed, one of the reasons, was to make almost clear to our neighbors that we don't own the other half of the lot. Because people would come and dump trash on that side of the lot. And it's not our property, but the neighbors viewed it and they just thought, oh, that church owns all that back property. They're doing a horrible job of upkeeping it. So part of the reason was to put a fence line to show, nope, this is our property in our area. We're also doing it as opportunities to invite unbelievers to church. So there are more than, more than that just as reasons. But the fence is meant to show as a barrier. We don't own the other property. And this church has regularly gone out into that back lot, and we have cut bushes all the way down there just for the sake of our reputation as a church to be good witnesses. We take in consideration what the unbelieving world views as us. Why? Because we don't want to put a stumbling block in front of the unbelievers. Again, Christ is already a stumbling block. We don't need any more. So we consider how our reputation is, what other people think of the church when they look at it as a whole. But this church also shows care and compassion to the people around us. So for example, we have the school that is right next door. We as a church try to use many opportunities to give to that church, to share the gospel, to give backpacks, to go do work at the church and clean and serve our community as a larger whole. Why? Because we're Christians and we have love for our neighbors. We want to actually show that we care in a physical way. So yes, this church has regularly gone out and served communities and done cleaning. But we've also regularly have gone out and gone door to door knocking and sharing the gospel, inviting them to church, using every opportunity to make much of Christ and to confront sinners of their need for Jesus Christ as a Savior. And if more, we can be more effective as a church by showing this consideration and showing care to our neighbors. The reputation of this church matters and how we present ourselves as a church does matter.
we need to be careful when people walk through the front doors and walk onto our properties that they see in well upkept place. Do we have any questions on that? Let me kind of wrap up everything. Conclusion, showing off what God has done. We are called to put Christ over our comfort. Or to say another way, we are to be loving to one another to the point of sacrificial love. We want our neighbors and unbelievers to get involved in our church. But we understand that the unbelieving world is watching the behaviors of Christians. And as Jesus said, that we, we understand that Jesus said that by this, all people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. First Corinthians gave us examples. There are sins that unbelievers do not tolerate. Suing one another only hurt the reputation of Christ. Flaunting our Christian liberty to the point of hurting our brother and sister is a horrible witness. We as Christians need to actually love our brothers and sisters so that it will be a good reputation. Invite them to church. Invite them into the life of this church so that they can see the love for, that we have for one another. Invite them over to your house for a meal, for a barbecue, for a birthday party with Christians so they can see the interaction. And our church's reputation does matter and how we present this place does matter. So on the back page, there's a part for you to fill in. How can you show God's work in this church to your neighbors? Or to say it another way, what did you learn from today? What are things that you can actively apply from what I said? And these things are just ideas or principles of how to love your neighbors and how to be a good witness. Think of ways that you can serve your neighbors and you can love them. Write it down and apply it. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but also be a doer. Any final questions? Okay, let me pray for us. Oh Lord God, it can be a very difficult thing for us to love our neighbors. But God, I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, will empower us to love our neighbors. And may we be good witnesses. And may we also love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. God, what a blessing that is, that the unbelieving world can see that and just wonder about the love that you have for your people. So God, help us to be good witnesses. May we apply what we've heard today and seek to make disciples. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.